Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for Sports Talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk. For Tuesday, May the 28th, I'm your host, D.A. And when we left you last, we did not have an Eastern Conference champion. We knew that the Bucks and the Raptors were headed to a game number six. Well, advantage Toronto as Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors move on to their first NBA Finals ever. An exemplary performance by Kawhi in this entire series and the entire postseason altogether. And high hopes from Bucks fans who had the number one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks, and had not been a world champion since 1971, fell short yet again. And so that hollow feeling creeping through the city of Milwaukee today and for the rest of the offseason. Here's Chuck and Winkler on 105.7 The Fan in Milwaukee. And at 7.48 p.m. last night, I see a tweet from Chuck Freeman, my dear friend, colleague, partner my ride or die and it says we should be bearing down on bucks and raptors game seven right about now harmless tweet fine tweet yeah you're correct but i I still we talked a little bit yesterday on our show about the five stages of grief and i know it's just a sports game and whatever but i i can't tell if i'm in denial or acceptance well it was a little i can't tell if i'm at the first stage or the last stage it was a little empty memorial day yeah. I mean, it was raining out, it was dreary outside, and I mean, I really thought we were getting to a Game 7. Yeah, I, re- I mean, in one form or, or another, even when, you know, going into Game 5 last Thursday, uh, you know, I didn't really think they'd lose at home. I don't think anybody did, and they did lose at home. I guess we shouldn't have taken it for granted. Shouldn't have taken it for granted the series at all either. But um, I, I really thought, at the very least, we'd be going to a Game 7 on Memorial Day night. And it was just like it hit me. It's like, oh man, man, we'd be at down at the. I, I'm sure the the Deer District is wide open right now, and nobody down there. And it would be a party. It'd be an atmosphere. Game seven with a chance to go to the NBA Finals, and uh, you know, it just was uh, not to be. I'd be down there. I'd be at the Deer District. I'd be doing videos when they clinched a berth to the NBA Finals. I'd come in here this morning. Hey, Chuck, what's guy? I wouldn't have a oh, voice. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd be crawling out of uh, Pfizer about 2 o'clock in the morning, coming in you know, here in two, three hours of sleep, but worth every second of it because we'd be hopefully talking about them going to the, uh, you know, unlike the Brewers losing Game 7, hopefully the Bucks would redeem it a little bit and, and get to the NBA Finals, and we'd be talking about Game 1 with Golden State on on Thursday. We would be two, three days away from the NBA Finals. God, that would be so awesome. Taking place in Milwaukee. I mean, think about that, man. We'd be talking about the NBA Finals coming here. Yeah, but this is what it's this is what it's been like for the last decade. A lot of well, we got this far, and we could have been doing this. Like we could have been talking about a World Series. Yeah. You know, you're making travel arrangements to Boston, 
in October. We could have been talking about Super Bowls and Super Bowl victories, possibly. We could have been talking about national championships or college football playoffs or or the NBA Finals here. We, it's a, it's continually a, a franchise and a fan base and a state, really the whole state, that gets so close. I saw J.R. Radcliffe uh, on Twitter last night from the Journal say that the city of Milwaukee in 113 years has had two, let's say, major professional championships with you know, our condolences to the, the wave, the admirals, and, and some of these teams. But, like, the major leagues, the NFL, the NBA, uh, the, you got the Braves back in 57, mm-hmm. you got the Bucks in 71. So two major championships in Milwaukee's 113-year sports And Marquette's 77, but we're just talking professional sports. Just professional sports. Uh, the city of Boston, with the win last night from the Bruins, the uh, three games away from having three professional championships in seven months. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine tuning in and just, hey, what was your favorite memory of the, of the last year? Well, let's see. Was it the World Series win? Was it the Super Bowl win? Was it the Stanley Cup win? How do you not get jealous and how do you not get a little oh, yeah. upset? I- it might be Toronto's time, although they might just be going to the wood chipper against the Golden State Warriors. I think the thing that's so tough for Bucks fans is that that was not the Milwaukee Bucks' best effort of the final four games of the series. The Bucks had the blowout winning game number two and then lost that game number three in double overtime and never recovered. And so it felt like the tale of two different series. It was the Milwaukee Bucks team that showed up the first two games that looked like the team that showed up in the first two rounds. And then the final four games, they just weren't there. And credit the Raptors for a lot of that. But let's be honest, if you're a Bucks fan, you probably feel like we didn't give them our best shot. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the best players in the NBA, certainly did not look like it in those final four games either. So it could only leave you feeling hollow, knowing the offseason is going to be a long one. Now that we're on to the NBA Finals, is there any way that Toronto actually gives the Warriors a run for their money? Most people are picking Golden State to win easily. Except how about Hawks GM Travis Schlenk, who has his weekly spot on John and Hugh, the morning show on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. Not only does he say that the injuries to the Warriors makes this series more interesting, he also sounds like he gives the edge to the Raptors. Okay, let's just get down to it. The NBA championship is finally here. We got Toronto and Golden State. And we've been trying to make cases this morning, well, I've been trying to make a case this morning where I think that this comes down to the first two games of this of the series and whether or not it's going to be something interesting because of the defense that Toronto plays. Because defensively, I think they match up extremely well with the Golden State Warriors. Do you see it the same way? Well, as you guys know, I've been uh, promoting Toronto all year long. Uh, so I'm obviously uh, high on their chances. I think what makes this interesting is, you know, I don't believe this year Steph uh, – played at all versus Toronto, and I'm not sure that Kawhi played versus Golden State. So, you know, we didn't have kind of a preview of this. Obviously, we have the injuries to the Marcus Cousins, um, Kevin Durant, and I think I read Andre Iguodala is supposed to be back, but we're not sure how healthy he's going to be. So, you know, I was asked this last night, and I think I leaned towards a little bit to Toronto um, because just of the health issues of Golden State. Um I think the the environment that Golden State's going to go in there for the first two games is going to be uh, 
crazy uh, with Jurassic Park and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you can't count out the heart of a champion. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again. Uh, you know, Golden State can go out there and put on, you know, once-in-a-lifetime performances that you'll see from guys. So I think it'll be a good series. I, I think it'll be a, it'll be a close series. Um, but I just think with the depth of Toronto and, and Kawhi, you know, if you go back and think the last time Kawhi played Golden State when he was in San Antonio, um, they beat the Warriors by 20 every game. And believe me, I remember that because I was there. And it took Zaza, uh, you know, contesting a jumper to get him out of game one of the Western Conference Finals. Uh, and they were up 15 at that time when Kawhi went out. So he's had a lot of success versus the Warriors. Um, Danny Green's played against him a ton. So I'm going to cautiously predict that Toronto wins it. Mm. How many games do you think this goes? I think it's going to be a long series. I think these are two really good teams. Um, so, you know, I was expected to go six or seven. But I, I do think just because of depth and the Warriors being beat up, that the longer it goes, it's more of an advantage to them. Kawhi Leonard's, you know, got a chance to really put a stamp on his legacy. You've seen him play throughout his career ever since he came out. When he went to San Diego State, he was considered to be a great offensive player that had no defensive ability, and Steve Fisher spent you know, a number of years working on making him into a great defender, uh, something that he's taken to heart. More, more players ought to take it to heart, uh, and he has become you know, potentially, I guess, is he the best defender, on-ball defender in the NBA? Well, he, he's won defensive player of the year. I think just his versatility defensively, you know, really makes him unique. You know, he can guard one through five really with his strength, and he's got a great wingspan. I think it's like seven three. He's got huge hands. You know, the nickname the claw. So if he gets his hand on it, you don't you don't take it away from him. But he he's certainly up there. there there's a lot of good defensive players, but you know his versatility I think kind of separates him a little bit. Well, I certainly can't give the edge to the Toronto Raptors. I certainly hope that we have a very competitive series. I would love to see the Raptors actually pull off the huge upset, but there's no way even without Kevin Durant, nor Boogie Cousins, or Andre Guadalla, that I can possibly say that a team that has never been to the NBA Finals has the leg up on a modern-day dynasty. Either way, Kawhi has led this franchise to a place they have never been before. And so as we inch closer to the offseason, the inevitable question continues to arise. What happens after the year when Kawhi is a free agent? Is it possible getting all the way to the NBA Finals is enough to cement him wanting to stay north of the border? Here is Toronto Sportsnet 590 The Fan analyst Greg Brady, who joined the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Do you feel like, or do the fans feel like this is just a stepping stone for Kawhi, or is there a real chance he's coming back? I've never thought he was coming back, and I've gone from never to almost certainly he isn't. I just, I hope there's an element. Here's what, there's two types of Raptors fans right now. One is, will every single moment um, ensure that it's more likely that he comes back? And I'm a little more in the latter category, which is just enjoy the ride. And I will say, Toronto since we're talking championships, the, the Blue Jays, when they won in 92-93, long history of hired guns, right? Jack Morris, Dave Stewart, um, Ricky Henderson, even Dave Winfield was only here one year. Paul Molitor was only here two years. So, I, I, you know, there's a little bit of a mercenary factor to Kawhi, and he may be more impactful than all those players, maybe even all those players combined. But Toronto just did this four years ago with David Price. They probably knew 
somebody, Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, he'll just be here the one year, but have fun with it. But I will say, given this playoff and given we're talking comparables in numbers and, and what, he, what he did to the Greek freak those last five games, that there's a certain belovedness that I, I don't think Kawhi Leonard, no matter what he does, will ever get booed here. If he's an L.A. Clipper and right, right. comes in the next seven years and plays one game a year, no one's ever going to boo him here. What, what he's done, putting, putting things on the map, and you guys know, too, Toronto's got a long history of stars getting the hell out of here when they when the first chance they get the Vince Carters the Tracy McGrady's to, to a lesser extent Chris Bosh no one can blame Chris Bosh for doing what he did but but if he stays I, I like he'll never he'll never buy a drink a meal a condominium he'll never buy anything in this city again I don't want to discredit what Kawhi is doing because he's, he's having an unbelievable run <laughs> but to get to the NBA finals sure it helps to have Kawhi but it also helps you haven't had to face LeBron because that's really what yeah. DeMar DeRozan, uh, Dwayne Casey, Kyle Lowry, all these guys, that's what was stopping them every time besides the Wizards that one year. It was LeBron. It was. Yeah, they were 2-12 and 12 against LeBron's Cavs the last three years, once in the conference finals and sweeps the last two years. And when you start seeing the, uh, you know, the, the, the hashtag LeBronto trending after game one last year, you know you're not coming back in the series. It was so patently obvious that the Raptors sort of shrunk mentally and emotionally and, and every other way when, when they'd play him. This is why, I mean, you know, as far as bad sports takes go, I didn't like the trade when it happened because I thought you're trading a player who has re-signed twice here, who you drafted, a lottery pick in DeMar DeRozan, who does need to round out his game a little bit, no question about it. But you, when this happened, guys, we can all agree. We didn't know what Kawhi's Leonard, Kawhi Leonard's health status was. We didn't, know, we didn't think he'd be here more than a year, and even if we still think that. But also, who quits on the Spurs? Like, who, who runs into problems publicly? That, that is a buttoned-up organization. There's the Patriots, there's the Spurs, and then there's 120 other teams where stuff leaks out and guys snipe at each other. But the Spurs weren't that. We, when you got David Robinson, who doesn't have a bad word to say about anybody, and he's been retired for a decade, and he comes out and he's ripping Kawhi's commitment to the team, you're questioning what you're getting here. But Kawhi has, has answered a lot of the doubters for, for coming and playing the way he had. And I was critical of them even, even letting him sit out 22 games this year. It cost them the number one seed. Everyone's like, Milwaukee's so much better. Well, they finished two games ahead, and Kawhi missed 22 games. So if Kawhi plays you know, 72 games, you probably are the one seed all told. And, and it was borne out in this series that just happened. And it worked out. Well, let's put it this way. There's no way that going this deep into the playoffs doesn't help. I don't know if it's enough to ultimately swing Kawhi Leonard's decision, but an early exit would have been way worse than this. It's better to go deep into the playoffs. It's better to go all the way to the NBA Finals. It's much better to have the postseason Kawhi is having so that he knows he has the chance for big-time success if he stays by doing what he's doing now. But... I mean, if we think that we know what Kawhi is thinking right now, I think we all know that is living on a prayer. No way to know what that guy's thinking. It ended oh so dramatically poorly for the Houston Rockets. Even without Kevin Durant, the Rockets losing in game number six at home as the Warriors toppled them yet again. And now we learn that CP3 and James Harden had a significant vocal disagreement during that game number six and after the game. Let's go to Houston. Sports Radio 610 of the Triple Threat. You know, it's it's easy to start blaming different things as to why we didn't get where we wanted to go this season. 
sometimes you just have to look, even without Durant, at the fact that you're up against pretty much Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. You're up against an all-time great team, and it's 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 not easy to knock them off. Uh, you know, they're probably going to win another championship. Um, and and I, I hesitate to say that it's a, it's a particular player, it's a coach's philosophy, it's a style of play that's definitely to blame for the Rockets not achieving their goals when the Warriors are just so damn good. Well, I, I think the style of play thing and Chris and James not getting along are almost like they're, they're two separate things in my mind, and here's why. And I get that the reason why there was this alleged spat was because of ball distribution. Style of play is a big picture thing that the Rockets do need to look at this offseason. That's that's bigger than just James Harden or Chris Paul. Um, do they need to go with a style or at least have a club in their bag that is not iso ball in the postseason that could be something much easier to defend? Right. This Harden and Paul thing, Rich, to me, I don't even know how big a news story it is because I feel like this is something that happens in sports probably quite a bit that's, after a disappointing loss. That's definitely part of what I felt when I read this. I, don't I think liked it's, that, they, that I, yeah, they're having some constructive exactly. conflict. I don't think it's that big a deal, but the point you make is a good one because anyone who remembers Steve Nash winning those two MVP awards in Phoenix under Mike D'Antoni remembers that the way Phoenix ran their offense was a lot different than how the Rockets run their offense. So to say that this is how D'Antoni does it is not really true in phoenix uh it was it was that you know there that whole cliche about uh wanting to get a shot up within the first six or seven seconds yeah, of seven seconds or less seven the the seconds book. or yeah. less yeah i mean they they were fast-paced they ran a lot and there was a lot of ball movement the rockets don't run much at all they're not fast-paced and there's not a lot of ball movement there's it's almost the polar opposite of what he was doing in phoenix so it's not like he hasn't coached that style and had success with that style before but he's also never had a james harden right i mean steve nash was a great player won two mvps yeah but harden i mean they're both going to be in the hall of fame but I almost feel like Harden has... The both ch- meaning Harden and Paul? Is that what you're talking Harden about? Harden and Nash. Oh, Harden and Nash, I got you. I think Paul also is yeah, going to be in the Hall right, of Fame. Sure. But, but, you know, it feels like Harden has almost changed the game in recent years. Yeah. Honestly, last night watching Kawhi Leonard operate, yeah. nobody's complaining about uh, traveling on step-back threes that Kawhi Leonard is taking, and it's the exact same move right. that drew that criticism about James Harden. Or that he's isoing up at the top of the key and taking guys off the dribble right. and Harden is you know, such, shooting the mid-range. Not that Steve Nash wasn't an all-time great, but Harden is such a transcendent talent. It feels like D'Antoni has said, look, I've got this weapon unlike any weapon I've had before, and I think this is the best way to maximize everything he does and win as much as possible. But you're right. I, mean, I, I think they should at least have a discussion about a, a possible tweak to, to that belief. I think it says something about both those guys that there would be a disagreement in the middle of the most important game of the season and for Chris Paul, arguably the most important game that he's ever played in. And I think it has to do with the leadership styles of both of those guys. Chris Paul has never been to a conference final before last year. And then Chris Paul got injured and the whole thing kind of fell apart. And I think he knows he's coming to the end of his career. His effectiveness is waning. We saw that in this postseason in general. And it becomes desperate, very desperate. And he's always been seen as the leader. But is he the leader if he's in uncharted territory, finally playing in a game six of the conference final? And his effectiveness isn't as good as it once was. And number two, James Harden's not a guy that's been there before either. So this is a desperate team. 
in a desperate scenario, staring down the nightmare of their dreams, the boogeyman, if you will, and their two most important players not on the same page, kind of says something about the team, the franchise, and those two guys. Who would you follow as a leader? In Cleveland, Brown season can't get here fast enough because the Indians, for all of the hope and the optimism coming into the season, have been terrible. They're sub-500, and because the Twins have been so good, the Indians are 10 games back already, and we just hit Memorial Day. So on 92-3, the fan in Cleveland, Baskin and Phelps yell, Oh, no! We suck again! Might be time to turn off Twitter today. Burns O'Matic, are you guys going to talk about how bad the tribe is every day? It's the same conversation every week. We know. Change the record and stop acting so surprised we suck. Hey, Burns O'Matic, who had the best pitching staff in the league when this thing all started? Who was expected to win the Central? Who was the team that was expected to have a 10-game lead on the Twins right now? It's not the same conversation every week. It's the, oh my God, I can't believe the Indians are 10 back right now. That doesn't upset you, burns It doesn't? Or anybody else that might be thinking that? Come on, man. We had bigger expectations for this team. They're underachieving. The offense sucks. The pitching is banged up. What do you want? We're talking about where they are. They're 10 games back, and everybody thought this team was going to the playoffs. Wake up. It's 109 games to go. Do I want to walk over to the clubhouse right now and tell them to wake up too? Yes, but I can't magically make the bat hit the ball. They got to figure that out for themselves. And by the way, we got an all-star game coming up. Are we even going to have an all-star on that team? The only reason why is Major League Baseball requires you to do it. We suck right now. Wake up, dude. So uh, We suck. Take that, Mr. Burns. And I'm not surprised. Yes. I just think that we should expect more. Expect more from your teams. All three. I listen to people complain about the Browns until now. So listen, let, let's let's walk through the scenario because you said this this morning, okay? All right. You you are at Carnegie in Ontario. Yeah. And Jeff Phelps, you're walking in the office right now. Yep. And who are you going to talk to? Paul Dolan. All right. What are you going to say to Paul Dolan right now? I'm going to tell Paul Dolan this if I'm Chris Antonetti and I'm Mike Chernoff. Okay. Paul? We're real close to this being a season of disappointment. We certainly have a shot, but we think we think we need to make sure we're covered here. So with your permission, because I'm sorry you own the team and owners should give permission for stuff like this, we're going to start seeing what we can put together for Trevor Bauer and Brad Hand. And Corey Kluber. Jeff, this is great conversation. How many times are you going to do this this year? And You've already walked into my office and before and said this. Francisco Lindor. Well, and, if you and, think. And Jose Ramirez. And we're just going to see what might be out there. Maybe something clicks that's really good that we think we can go with. But we're going to start checking some things out. And if I'm Paul Dolan, I'm saying, great, you guys haven't done that already? Because I think you should. So... Good, we're on the same page here. I'm not pulling the trigger, but I'm lining stuff up and I'm seeing what might be out there and I'm I'm looking I'm looking for the Pittsburgh Pirates to give me Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows, and a player to be named later who turns out to be a former number one draft pick. Okay, I'm gonna be Paul Dolan here. Okay. You you've already come to me, Jeff Phelps, and you told me in the offseason 
that we were going to go out there and we were going to see what was available for Trevor Bauer. Okay, well, we didn't make a move then. Now here's where we are right now. If you need right. to make a move with him, do it. If you want to trade Kluber, I be, he's been you know uh, uh, a big part of our team. He's made this organization proud. He's a reason why fans might come to the ballpark to watch him pitch when he is pitching at Cy Young level. Uh, I'm a little hesitant on that, but if you think the return investment, which, by the way, we've always been committed to trying to make sure that we have minor leagues uh, that can support what we have in the in the bigs, okay, that's what we need to do. i got to tell you, I'm very hesitant on you trading Lindor. Why? Because our product right now is really boring. No one wants to watch it. Our offense isn't doing anything. And so you better come up with a reason for people to come to the ballpark. Man, the issue is everything has been bad for Cleveland. It'd be one thing if it was just the pitching or just the bullpen or just the hitting, but instead it just feels like it's everything for the Indians. And so fans that were hoping for a return of the World Series, remember this was an Indians team that was on the doorstep of finally cracking their own unbelievable drought since the 40s a couple of years ago in Game 7 of the World Series against the Cubs. But here we are. And this was once a promising season and now has really hit the skids very early, although a lot of that just has to do with how unbelievably good the Twins have been. Hey, let's wrap up with the passing of a very famous name in sports history, Bill Buckner, who passes away at the age of 69 years old. Complications had been suffering from dementia in his later years. Of course, Bill Buckner remembered for Game 6, 1986, World Series, the ball that went through his legs. But his career was so much more. But he's forever connected to just one play, one moment. Here is Jamie and Stoney on 97 won the ticket in Detroit. I mean, Buckner was a really good player. I yeah. mean, he, led the, he won a batting title one year. Mm-hmm. Very good player. 2,200 hits. Um, you know, I mean, one of the great hitters. Uh, really a great player. And, and unfortunately, he is known for one play. So uh, it got us to thinking. And hopefully you as well at two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven or on the ticket text nine seven one three six. What athletes are known for one play? Because Buckner, like you said, it's I mean, like the here's the here's the opening paragraph in ESPN. Bill Buckner, the longtime major leaguer whose error in the nineteen eighty six World Series for years lived in Red Sox infamy, died Monday. He was sixty nine. It is going to be in the first paragraph of every article that's ever going to be written about Bill Buckner from here on, fair or not. Right. They had that in the bottom line when the, when the news broke. Is that right? Yes. What did it say? Buckner, comma, known for 86 error? Something like that, yeah. I, I, I don't want to paraphrase. Yeah. The, the first person I thought of when we're doing, decided to do this, one play, somebody else who has a, had a decent career, maybe because I'm it's, it's a local play, Cordell Stewart. To me, when I think of Cordell Stewart, I only think of the – the play the miracle at the big house. It's not a bad one. It's not a bad one. I, I still think of him as Slash and the weird controversy know, that he had when he was the Steelers but quarterback. To me, it was it's always that play to me. See, the one name that comes to mind for me is Dwight Clark. Yes, who had a solid career, um, and 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 he's known for a great play. Unfortunately for Buckner, he's known for a bad play. Which I mean, Clark's play. It's almost the opposite of the Buckner play. Clark's play makes him out to be greater than he actually was, which he wasn't. He was never even the best receiver on the 49ers. And Buckner's play somehow makes him worse than he was, which is totally unfair to him. You know, I mean, there's a statue of Dwight Clark at the 49ers stadium. No statues of Bill Buckner outside of Fenway Park. You know, (laughs) That, that gets me to thinking that play in and of itself is so overrated. 
the play. Yeah. Oh, the catch. That catch. Yeah. I mean, I it was a good catch. It's a it good, was a good catch. A great throw in the right spot. Maybe he was trying to throw it away. We'll, we'll never know. Right. But just the whole, it was just in that timing where they, and they did it against the Cowboys. And well, it, Chris Berman just, you know, glorified the thing to, it was the it ever. was the changing of an era, right? The Cowboys were the team, and the Niners by winning that game. But as you remember, being a Cowboy fan back in the day, the Cowboys had the ball back and right. were quickly driving down the field. They were at midfield, yeah. And Danny White fumbled the ball. The Forty ers recovered, and that that iced the game for the Niners and sent them to the Super Bowl here in Detroit. I was ready for Raphael Septien to come in. Raphael Septien was going to come in and win that game for the Cowboys. Another one I thought of is Don Beebe. When you think of Don Beebe, what do you think of him chasing down Leon Lett, right? Well, you can also say Leon Lett, but that you know we, we talked about this last right. week. Leon Lett had two incredibly silly plays, and so therefore it's not just one play that right. he's known for. He's known for other ones as well. And Beebe was big in that comeback game against yeah. the Oilers. I would go with, uh, this is a little old, but Steve Smith, the yeah. hockey player, yeah. when yeah. he did, had the own goal. Yeah, I mean, somebody uh, on Twitter yesterday, I forget who it was, was I think working on an article of... Similarly, people who were known for only one well, that, play, and it, Steve it, Smith certainly came up. The other one I, that, that came up was for me was Vanderbilt. At least Bill Buckner got the piece that he needed after 2008 when in that season to open up the year, the Red Sox were honoring their World Series champions from 04 and 07, and Buckner was invited back and got a standing ovation at Fenway Park. Finally, all of those years of torture he was finally allowed to be enjoy his career in peace and to be serenaded by the fans. That'll do it. The best in your sports talk for Tuesday, May the 28th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.